welcome to episode 23 of All's Fair in Love and Film, a film review podcast where we go through our DVD collection in alphabetical order, reviewing them as we go. I'm Laura. And I'm Ryan. And this week we're covering Stanley Kubrick's 1975 film Barry Lyndon, another one from our Kubrick DVD collection that we've got. Uh, Ryan, what is your history with this film? Um, to be honest, I'd never seen this film before we watched it for the podcast. However, I was very aware of this film, kind of like key screenshots, if you will. Like I've seen so many bits of this film, like so many bits of of, of it, like chop and change in like presentations of like of um like cinematography and stuff like that, or kind of like examples of like Kubrickian um framing. Okay, fair Quite enough. a bit, so yeah, I, I'm I'm I was familiar with like some shots and some scenes, but apart from that, it was very much a cold watch for me. I didn't know this film existed until I said the title of it on last week's episode. That's fair. <laughs> I mean, we got that Stanley Kubrick collection mostly for like 2001: A Space Odyssey. Am I right? Um, like it just happened to kind of be on there. That and The Shining was uh, the main the one. The Shining the, for you. I'm yeah. not a fan of The Shining. Yeah, fair enough. We'll get to that under S anyway. But I mean, like, I I I think Barry Lyndon is probably not one of his one of Kubrick's most known films to most lay people. Like, and I wonder why. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, I mean. That's actually probably a good good uh, jumping off point to disc- uh, to uh, maybe do a little recap and then we'll, we'll launch right into the plot. And then we'll get into it. So the Barry Lyndon is a three hour and seven minute long film, which is utterly ridiculous. Uh, about an Irish rogue who wins the heart of a rich widow and assumes her dead husband's aristocratic position in eighteenth century England. Uh, and there's a lot in that three hours that happens around that he uh you know is in the military during the seven years war he's a deserter uh all of this other stuff joins the military again somehow yeah because he had to join the prussian army instead of the english army i don't know it's it was it was a meandering story it's a meandering story about a mediocre man lucking out occasionally and occasionally failing upwards until it all comes crashing down around him. Yeah. Um. So I want the the first thing that kind of stuck out to me, which is fitting because it is the first thing you hear. This film uses like title cards. It comes up with the part one. By what means Redmond Barry acquired the style and title of Barry Lyndon? So that's it. Basically summarizes what we're going to see in the kind of first half of the film, and we immediately hear the first thing we hear after that title card is gone is a third person narrator telling us what's happening which for a film is a really interesting choice like we get a lot of third person narrators kind of in the intros of a lot of films but then it kind of peters out this one is sustained throughout the film and basically is used as a shortcut for lazy screenwriting in my opinion a lot of other films you know you succeed in getting exposition by like a little like insert shot of like a character acting in a certain way or you know expressions on their faces or a character will ask another character oh who is that what is their deal you know things like this but instead it just has you know one scene that jumps to mind is when um soon to be barry linden sees the countess linden for the first time 
instead of you know he's sitting at a tea table with a companion and it's like the the voiceover is explaining oh he wanted a wife that was rich so he could be rich too and instead of but what what maybe would have been better because he's they're just sitting there in silence and he's just staring at her what would have been better is maybe if he'd have gone to his companion I would like a rich wife. Who's that? And his companion could have gone, ah, oh, well, that's the Countess Linden. And no, I, her husband is nearly dead. And that would be a good play way for you to get in if he died really soon. Yeah, I, I completely agree. It's it's just really, really, like, it It kind of seems like a cop-out. Uh, it, it really like, did. Like a massive cop-out. And I, like, I guess, like, there's been other, like, Kubrick films that have, like, like, he's completely written and... Like he's done the screenplay for, and it just seems this one he just he just took a massive shit. Yeah, I mean it's it's based on a book, and there's probably the case is that there's a lot of content in the book that was difficult to transpose translate into. So in that case, just make a different book into a film if it doesn't translate to the screen. Like I guess that it just having a narrator was a super lazy way of doing it. It was just it. It really didn't work for me. It well, was, it, and also the the narrator sounded bored. Yeah, well, it it didn't translate well, anyways, because it, it like the kind of all all the points at which he was giving exposition just kind of felt like it almost didn't. It needed character exp- exp- exposition because it just it just kind of falls flat, and it yeah, like it's it's not really like. Other films that utilize narr- narration to kind of est- do like establish like to establish characters and uh, establish Provide that context yeah, pr- and providing context. Like that. It's usually done in a much more kind of like l- the points at which it's introduced feel a lot more r- like relevant and a lot more like it's actually providing genuine context. Meanwhile, other than the first, it, it like first point at which he's at which their narrator does give context it feels really awkward in the or it's overall yeah, placing it's like it feels like it, it what what really gets me about it is it you can tell that it's like out of place because um the characters are just sitting still and being silent on the screen and if you think about how that would look with no narration it would be a very strange shot and it's like it's almost like they're waiting for him to finish which kind of brings me on to like the narrator in part is thanks to this but this film feels a lot like a play very i could much see so. it working possibly a lot better through the medium of a play and it, but it just hasn't translated well to screen like e- even I then it would be a like very it. very boring play it, it would be the most boring play as you can probably tell we don't like this film very much um, i mean I like, there are I, like, I like parts of it, but... Yeah, I mean, the, the kind of... The story I think the, the staging so. of it was just a bit off. And it kind of... This narrator and the problems we have with it really sets the tone for the rest of yeah. how the film puts together. Like I was saying, it, it make, the whole lot of it makes it feel, feel like a play. Like, there's a lot of lines, especially in the earlier part of the movie, where the actors aren't like acting to each other they're acting to the camera and that kind of gives it this much more stagey because you if you're on stage you're acting to the audience you know and yeah. it just made it 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 really takes you out of it there's no realism at all it just makes you feel like you're watching a load of people pretend to do things see like i kind of thought that the this whole like the first ha- like first half of the film also just kind of felt really jagged in its overall kind of like 
where each portion of the story kind of trailed off it just kind of it didn't make sense where it kind of moved from one point to the next it just kind of really felt like yeah like i said jagged but it, it almost felt like they like instead of kind of like finishing a scene they'd get most of the way through a scene and then just completely go to the next and setting. be like oh yeah. now we've got to do this yeah it, it's like there were they knew there were milestones that needed to be hit but then they didn't know how to quite join those milestones together yeah exactly that it's just, it's just it, it felt disconjointed i mean i think the thing that really bothered me about like the overall plot of this film was uh, the plot and kind of the screenwriting is the character like it, it was just so meandering and that like you you need the lead character to kind of be a guide through the film but it almost felt like he was he was in the ride he was along for the ride just like you and it just yeah. did, and, and it didn't it didn't help the viewer kind of like get what was supposed to be going on what you're supposed to be seeing like it it just it it fell flat frankly yeah i think you've actually just like hit the nail on the head of why I find like the titular Barry Lyndon such an unsatisfying character because he's he he's very average he's kind of a very average nothing person like he's not driving the plot in any meaningful way again he's just like along for the ride and we just happen to watch this man kind of bumbling through his life and you're introduced to he does have like a personality and and like well established you know traits and features that make him you know a character but it's all about how he's like meant to be this devious you know he deserts from the army he woos this widow and and like like wiggles his way into her elite family following the death of her husband and you know uh you know distances her from her from the heir from her oldest son he he but he doesn't come across as devious like i would much rather root for a protagonist that is like a bad protagonist you know it's like he he succeed kubrick succeeded in this with a clockwork orange like alex in a clockwork orange is an incredibly interesting character yeah. he's not a good character but he's incredibly interesting because of how awful he is and in this like i just want barry linden to be worse he either needs to be a good guy who is like stumbling into all of these things and has all this misfortune happen to him or he needs to be a bad guy that gets his comeuppance through all this misfortune and that's the story that i would have preferred to see but instead he's just a kind of average dude who is a bit of a dick and then ends up with bad things happening to him. There's no satis- There's no like real satisfaction to his comeuppance because he hasn't done anything devious or heinous. You know, and, and just, he's just done mildly, vaguely manipulative things. Yeah, and when they do allude to him doing something like mischievous or 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 horrible, it's never actually shown on on screen. It's just kind of like always alluded to, and like the. Oh yeah, you're a bad influence on the troops and stuff like that. I would love to have seen him be a bad influence on the troops. But yeah, I love that bit because when he joins the Prussian army, there's a bit again of our of our most favoritist narrator pops up and goes, "Yes, the the Prussian army was mostly made of criminals, and as such, Barry basically learned a load of criminal stuff." I would have loved to see him 
being criminal and doing bad things and being devious. I would have preferred to see that all the way through. But but it, ha- it has no um it has no bearing on the rest of the damn film as well. It's, exactly. It, 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 it just like okay yeah it in great like him turning like turning his uh his army career around at that point does ingratiate him better in in the eyes of his commander but it just kind of like as soon as he goes to meet with uh the chevalier yeah yeah it it, it, it's kind of just dropped yeah it, it just seems so like i i get that you know not everything has to be explicitly linked and explicitly you know tied in it just felt very meandering and i and i get that you know like like i i've read some critiques of this film like oh yeah well that's the way kind of life is you kind of meander through it and you know not everything's clear i get that but at the same time it's like you kind of need a little bit more structure for a film that's you're trying to market to the masses and you're trying like because it, it not to be a nihilist about it but like or not everybody's going to kind of catch on to that. And it's just, it's just, frankly, it's not going to really make something that's really like easily understandable to everybody. Yeah, I totally agree. It's like, it's, it's one thing to say, oh yeah, we're just following this guy through his life and life is meandering and, you know, people are average and he's just like a realistic protagonist. But it's like, you know, if I wanted to just like, no, like do slice of life stuff, I'd watch sitcoms or soaps or I'd follow people around in their day-to-day lives. I'm here to watch a film. Like, I know what people's lives are like. I'm here to watch something exceptional, you know? There's no yeah. point in making a story if it's not exciting or exceptional in some way. Yeah. And it just kind of isn't. Like, he, he should be established as a worse person from the off and i think the film thinks it portrays him as worse than it actually does but at the start he's like a lovesick puppy who's then like tricked into killing someone but he thought he was killing them like in a duel honorably he's not like a cold-blooded murderer then he runs away and joins the army and then he deserts but he kind of deserts half-heartedly very half-heart it's it's like we don't see any kind of emotional struggle within him and this or anything he's just kind of it's like, oh, cool, I can leave. And then he leaves. Yeah, okay, then he lies to that Prussian commander. But again, it's not... Like, he's not... He's not. We're not looking at a guy who's, like, a professional bluffer or anything, because that hasn't been established in his character. It's just like, oh, all of a sudden he is, like, a con artist. And I'm like, well, that should have been established earlier on. And then during his time in the Prussian army, he's becomes a criminal and then that translates into his life uh cheating at cards with the chevalier and then that is meant to then translate into him like scamming this widow into falling in love with him but it's not a scam he just like woos her and they fall in love that's a normal high class marriage of that time you know yeah it's like it's perfectly normal to marry someone for money at that point in time it's not it doesn't speak to any deviousness and yeah, then when like he does establish, he does do some bad things. He cheats on his wife. He beats her son. Um, all of these things. But the son is as much of an asshole. And again, those kind of things, like him beating the kid and everything, would have been fairly normal at that time. I'm not justifying it. It's still not okay behavior. But it doesn't, in the context of the film, paint him as an exceptionally bad person no no yeah it, just a kind of mediocrely bad person and i i 
you know, I've just given up three hours of my life to watch a man be mediocre on screen. And it's just frustrating. Yeah, I I, I do get that. I mean, kind of transitioning slightly towards the production of the film. Like, there were some really good actors in this film, but you just <laughs> see, see them until like more than halfway through this film. I've got to say, just like as a general point, the se- I found the second half of this film way better than the first oh, half. Oh, substantially. From plot to performance to just the general vibe of the film, the second half was way better. Like, I, and I'm like guessing you agree with that oh, as well. Oh, ab- absolutely. The only thing I didn't, like, I did like, I did kind of like the battle scenes. That Like, those were quite well done and well, like, well structured in terms of plot. But again, they it, the this the second half of the film was substantially better yeah. and just it did it did carry the film and it had much more logical narrative structure and 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 plot line that you could easily like okay that that this is where this is going you could kind of get a feel for where it's going yeah for sure and on the production side of things i i do have a lot of positive things to say about this like i'm not going to just dunk on everything about this film um but again in that first half you can tell a lot of work has gone into those battle scenes as you say the like choreography the costuming the sets everything like that um especially the kind of like encampment scenes where they're like marching around and stuff yeah. there's a lot of practice and the, the shots for that were really good and their choice of setting were really good but they were minutes and minutes and minutes too long oh absolutely it's they've it's... obviously put so much work into it realized it's way too long and then gone oh but we can't leave any of it out because we put so much work into it well i i, I would I, I hate to say it like this but like there's so many other s- films like for instance glory you know th- that had like a lot of like uh, like re- like really intensive expensive scenes of just extras being in army outfits and stuff like that like those were just expensive but you d- you didn't have to fucking watch them just like oh, you, you you watch them march throughout the whole entire thing but you weren't like just kind of forced to sit and watch about a 2 minute like scene of them just kind of marching on by yeah. that I, I really didn't have really the it, it, it lacked the actual staying power and the substance uh, to, like to really drive the pot, plot or even drive the visuals of the plot forward in a meaningful way. Yeah, it's like during those times, as a standalone scene, I can appreciate that it's very impressive. But in the context of it being part of this film, I'm sitting here waiting for what's going to happen next. I'm like, well, you know, hurry up. What's the next plot point? What am I waiting for? You know? Yeah. And it's just, yeah. But... The positives that you can take from those scenes, pointless as they are, is is like I'm saying, the settings, the locations, the like the costumes, as I've mentioned again, like the the uniforms and everything. What what did you think of all of that? I honestly thought that thought they were on point. I mean, it's it's amazing how how much of an eye on detail the the uh, production designer had when they went into this. Like, I it. According to like a lot of the, the the material I've read about this film, it was very much actually of the period and uh, of the period. It like it really went into the very minutia of detail regarding each like each of the the jackets, the way that they would have been made. Like it was really really well thought out and really well um, well done. I mean, and this and the sets that they used, like some of the interiors of the like I know that most of this film like I pretty sure most of this film was filmed in ireland according to wikipedia 
Um, but every little interior scene was just so well saturated in that kind of Baroque look. It it just did feel very much like very immersive in that regard. Yeah, well, it did win uh, Best Costume Design, uh, Best Production Design, Best Cinematography, and Best Original Score while we're at it. But um, yeah, everything was gorgeous. Like, the costumes were sumptuous, really well done. My particular favourite has to be uh, Countess Linden's costumes. They keep her hair, like, dynamic. It's all wigs, which were very common at the time. She changes her hair and wigs a lot. Um her dress is very fitting for every like occasion that we see her in and oh my god her costuming was incredible so good and the way that just yeah like you say the interior shots were done like the use of lighting and um to like kind of in certain settings certain moods and stuff um and just everything's so pretty well i i love like just some of the accoutrements of like of certain characters like like i really liked the um like i know it was kind of a creepy point in the film but the ribbon that uh that that what's her face had uh, oh his cousin yeah Nora. yeah it's, it's, yeah like that was like even that was just you you could and soon it was as soon as it was put on screen it was very textured. It, like it, it drew your eye. You know. Yeah, which it, is like, the whole point yeah. for when it's reintroduced later. Exactly. And, and given back to her, it's a like that's one of those things where the kind of the very specific color and design of that one small prop is used to like aid Accentuate, in the plot yeah. uh, as well. Yeah. Which this film does stuff like that incredibly well. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, like Kubrick's attention to detail is insane, but I mean. Like I do also really really like some of like the other Kutramans like the um I like that the Chevalier had a had a um uh eye patch the eye patch yeah and, but he looked very it, cool it was very his whole was, look was great I loved yeah. his jacket as well it was very clearly velvet yeah everything is very deliberate and also well the reason they made Chevalier so again it's pairing costumes and props with plot the reason they made chevalier so distinctive looking is so barry can disguise himself as him and it's very obvious who he's being and why it would be you know believable so he's got the eye patch he's got the the black and gold velvet jacket he's got the tricorn hat he's got the powdered wig it's ah the costuming and everything was is brilliant and i just love the way that everybody kind of matches their surroundings as well like everything is nothing seems out of place like at the times when things are kind of stark and we're in the in the dining hall at the beginning um when nora's engagement is announced it's a very plain dining room and everyone is wearing like nice clothes but then you compare that to later when you're in um the linden very Manor, opulent very opulent. very opulent and all of a sudden everyone's wigs are two feet high and everyone is in incredible suits and dresses and jewelry and you know it, it just i just think it's like incredibly well done from that perspective oh absolutely very yeah, authentic I mean, as well yeah i i do also um kind of in keeping with the set and the um set in the costuming the the settings that were chosen for like the, like the larger wide shots were very picturesque and very very saturated very um th- there wasn't really any indication that there was like modern settlement in those uh, like it, it felt very period you know like yeah. it, it and they didn't look like 
modern sets. They looked like they looked lived in. They looked um, very textured for the time. You know, like yeah. it, 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 it. Nothing in this film takes you out of the of of the time period in which it's set, and that's really really impressive for a period like a period piece, especially of this era. Because like, I could think of like. Oh, what was it? Waterloo, which um, was a film by Dino De, De Laurentiis. It was around the same time. Yeah. It was still slightly a few years before yeah, this. Yeah, a few years it? before this. And there were so many like little bits that kind of took you out of the, it being a actual period piece. It it, 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 it screws it screws with you a lot. Like it, it messes with your perception of like the plot and stuff like that. But 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 Kubrick's attention to detail in this regard was really, really good and it did it kept you in the world, you know? Yeah, his attention to details paid off in that regard. I will disagree with you on one minor point, um, that it wasn't the fault of, you know, it, like, it being a period piece and the, like, time period throwing you out of itself. It was, I was thrown out of the film a few times. Like, because, like, like there was a, there was a bit where they were doing, like, a dance in a field and the guy was staring straight at the camera. Yeah. And it was weird. And like stuff like that, and, and like a lot of the kind of stuff, especially from the first act, that, that really do fair. take you out of it because it just looks so fakey. It looked like yeah. people doing a bad historical reenactment, yeah. And the tone and boredom of the narrator, it just made it look like a bad historical re- reenactment as part of like a history documentary, uh, that, that, with that, not that, not a film. That's fair. I, so I that guess did take me out of it a bit. I was more. I was more. Referring, no, I know. I know. I, think I was more referring to like the fact that you could clearly see electrical lighting and in. in um, in Waterloo, like it, yeah, it, yeah, yeah, no, it, I think we're talking about like two yeah, different things. I yeah. just wanted to like, cause just like, reiterate that like I I wasn't completely invested in the plot, but I will say the attention to historic detail did help in that regard. Yes, I mean I also do think that the overall kind of the the, the props that they also used in this film kind of like again built built that up, and I do I I think it was kind of a smart move on the on the part of the production designer to kind of really like like lay into the overall texturing of like every single garment that they were wearing yeah and it, it that that definitely did help um i mean this also does kind of play in the cinematography yeah i mean what i was gonna say my favorite scenes in this film because of you mentioned like non-electrical lighting the cinematography the texture the costumes um and the props and everything the gambling scenes, the card game scenes. The um, ones by candlelight. Especially the one um, where he first meets Countess Linden and he's playing cards against her. Because you get, it, it's this brief, I was, I was actually quite cap- captivated by this scene. Um, you start quite zoomed out. It's just lit by candles. The room is quite crowded, quite close. Everyone's p- playing cards around this table. Then um, he looks up and catches her eye. She looks back at him and then you just get the camera alternates between the two of them getting closer and closer to their faces each time. That was a brilliant bit of cinema. Yeah, it's it's amazing how like how well done that was. And the, like the fact that that was done using candlelight as the only light source, as the only light source, which yeah. which that that's insane. I mean, like um, I mean. For context, they had to use specialist lenses that were developed by um, Carl Zeiss um, and NASA because these were the same one. These are the same types of lenses that were used to photograph the dark side of the moon uh, during the Apollo missions. I mean, there were ten ten lenses lenses like this ever made, 
and Stanley Kubrick bought three of them. You know, it shows the, what you can do when you have a ton of money. Yeah, well, and like, yeah, production, like when your production calls for, like, it, he really, really wanted to film, like, he wanted everything to be done by candlelight, by you know, like natural like, light sources. Yeah, natural what light would sources, have been yeah. a, the light sources used at the time. Yeah, rather than having it artificially lit, lit like Waterloo, you know, like it, yeah, it, that's that was a really good attention to detail in that regard. Yeah, no, the, the cinematography of this film is is really good. I mean, it won the Academy Award for Best yeah. Cinematography of the year it came out. And you can see why. It's just a shame that the plot is so bloody yeah. meandering. Well, I mean, another... It lets it down. Another bit of the cinematography that really spoke to me was the fact that so many of the, of the scenes were framed in this way that it almost looked like a like a 16th or 17th century painting. What, what I think you... that was deliberate from yeah, research that it, it, I've it done. Was. It was um, deliberately like inspired by um, paintings by a certain artist. I'm, I'll look up who it was now. Oh, I, regardless, it just really like it. It made every like I guess like as somebody who's been quite interested in like art, uh, like art history and stuff like that. It just it really, really reminded me like of a lot of. Um, like some of Van Gogh's early work, not expressionist that is, but just very kind of like very humble and very kind of like textured, very romantic, like romantic in a way, you know? Yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, for me, the the paintings reminded me of um, like John Constable stuff. There's a lot very of much like so, yeah. rolling hills with fields and stuff. Uh, but they were actually inspired by uh, William Hogarth paintings, according to according to Wikipedia. So, oh, that's really cool. I mean, like, I I really liked how cute, like, uh, how the how the cinematography really relied on this like long depth of field. Like, you you like they were definitely shooting at like a really small aperture. So, for those not familiar with like um with 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 cameras and stuff like that. If you take a photo with um the uh, with a, a camera with a smaller aperture, it means like more stuff is going to be in focus in the frame. Like y- you'd have to shoot stuff, you know, like it make uh, like if you shoot shooting something at f sixteen, that means everything in the in the frame is going to be in focus, and they did that purposefully. But then in other bits of this film, they were shooting with very, very large apertures, apertures which made everything look fuzzy. Like Yeah, like, you did say it was all very soft focus. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it really, like, some of the like some of the bits when they were inside, like, only, like, only, like, one character would be in focus. And it would generally be either Barry, Lyndon, or um, what's-his-face with the, who did the really bad death scene. <laughs> Oh yeah, uh, the um, cuckold. Yeah, yeah, the the first husband of, uh, so it's Count Linden. Yeah, I think. Lord Linden. Lord Linden, that's the one. Uh, that that scene was exceptional. It was crazy. Again, I just uh, like this is this is it was one of the scenes. It was a really good scene, really well acted, crazy theatrical death scene, but um, it was another opportunity to make. Barry Lyndon into a manipulative bad guy but it's like he didn't murder the count he didn't seduce the wife away from him well he did but we don't again we don't see a very much of that at all um 
it he just waits for him to die and then very respectfully waits an entire year before marrying her like I, I just i think there was just an opportunity for him to be a more devious person in these like he just says some he he says some very mild things but one of the things he says is is witty enough of a barb that it literally makes the guy die <laughs> bantered was, to death he was bantered to death it's crazy but that oh god that death scene was uh, wild i think the best f- line in this film was i'd rather be a cuckold than a fool ha yeah <laughs> which was good. just was so so great yeah so the line that kills him was um let those who win be the ones to laugh or something and that's meant yeah. to be quite an iconic line but it's just like again barry Lyndon at this point in the film is just too mild-mannered like he loses his shit and beats the crap out of his stepson later and that shows more of his like true colors but i guess we should have been introduced to that barry linden more like poignantly more often throughout the film film, far earlier it should have been an established pattern of behavior and we're like oh he's a ticking time bomb it's only a matter of time before he ruins this for himself but because he's just kind of tripped and failed into all of the things he's ended up doing it just it, it kind of Falls flat. Falls flat. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I mean, one other thing that kind of really stuck out to me about kind of the, how the cinematography kind of played into the, um, in, into the story was the kind of the use of like camera movement, like generally just like either kind of like, uh, zooming slowly out, you know? Like because yeah. Kubrick really relied on that as kind of a story as a kind of a storytelling technique in this one, specifically the scenes in like of Lady Linden in the bath or um or um uh their their son their young son um kind of like playing uh playing with uh with magic and stuff like that like it it was just like that was just he relied on that technique which was kind of cool in some regards because it did kind of like expose you to like it focused on you know that one person and just kind of like showed the the context around them and kind of like oh wow it kind of shows how either isolated they are or how loved they are you know yeah which was you know very very well thought through but at the same time like and it has actually resulted in some of the most iconic screenshots in this film yeah and what again is because of that inspiration from like paintings you don't get a lot of movement from the characters in quite a few scenes there's like you know especially in the latter half of the film there's not many scenes of you know people walking around having a lot of dynamic movement it tends to be a static this is what is happening in this moment in this room and the camera is going to move to show you what you need to know about it i, I, I mean compared to the favorite like th- th- this is practically a fucking iceberg <laughs> which i mean in terms of cinematography you know like yeah I, there are like, things that i liked and things that i very much disliked about the cinematography yeah. of the favorite yeah. but um but i've got to say like i think this kind of captured my attention a lot more it yeah, was same so. there was nothing particularly off-putting and it was everything was kept very interesting and um like What's the word I'm looking for? Like eye-catching kind of is very striking. That's the word I'm looking for. Yeah. Not everything was necessarily like beautiful. Obviously, the scenes where um, Countess Linden is depressed and uh, the bath scene and her, you know, th- like throes of her suicide attempt. It's not pretty to look at, but it's very, very 
it captures your imagination quite well and it's like images that stick in your mind it's very striking the cinematography fits the the feeling the, the like that's one area of this of this film that did kind of i i felt like every every bit of the film was shot well and I don't think I could have thought of another way to shoot most of the parts of this yeah, film. Like for sure. that was perfect in my mind. Yeah. And it all links again back into the um production design and everything. It all all every shot matches perfectly with the soundtrack. And this yeah. again won the Academy Award for the for the soundtrack as well. And the music was astounding. I mean, you can tell from a Space Odyssey, 2001 A Space Odyssey, that Stanley Kubrick loves classical music, but he didn't use pre-established classical pieces in this like he did for 2001. He's composed, like, had a full, well, he didn't do it, obviously, but he's hmm. had a full classical soundtrack put in for the whole thing. You've got, like, you know, the marching music for the beginning. You've got a very, you know, tension-building, excellent. It's all, it's, whole orchestra throughout really really well done really enjoyed it i'm not a musician as you can tell i don't know any of the technical words but i was very impressed by it anyway it it was all very period in terms of like um the overall like key motifs and stuff like that in terms of like uh i've got a bit of experience like in in music like i before becoming an archaeologist before going to archaeology and at uni i did music uh, music theory and music education um so yeah it, it, it it's all very it, it's it's very put together in the kind of key motifs like it they it really re- relied on um specific like major keys and minor keys to kind of like really kind of highlight certain character traits and stuff like that like um most of the bits where Barry Barry's coming kind of coming out on top, it's high, heavily using major keys to kind of show his either dominance over the scene or dominance in the overall story, which I, I thought was kind of cool. Um, yeah, no, and- I definitely agree. I just it really um, helped direct your mood and tell you like exactly what the scene was trying to do, more so than the script, which is yeah. normally like I'm very much a dialogue kind of person. I like good quotes i like good moving dialogue this film doesn't do great on the dialogue kind of in the dialogues like area but uh the soundtrack does help set that offset that by like really setting the mood for you yeah which is most really definitely great. i also think it's probably some of the best harpsichord i've heard in decades <laughs> you are you sounded so so fancy when you said that <laughs> it was some of the best half score i've heard in decades well i thought it was funny so yeah i um, mean i think to kind of round off our main complaint with this film is that it's way too long yeah absolutely and it's way too long it did not need to be that long i i mean like even the bits where you know you should probably like there should be a little bit more substance in terms of like kind of plot machinations to make the story go farther you it was kind of just a lot like a lot down like the um brian like falling off the horse and dying you know yeah terrible but because i've been sat here bored for the past three hours i don't care i just want the film to end so i was just like oh poor little bry he's dead now oh no is the film over yet? And yeah. the answer is still no. Well, and the fact that they laboured on the like the um, like 
like Papa, am I gonna die? Like that lasted for what, like a good five fucking minutes, and it just yeah, it, it just it's... felt like really like belabored. Like yeah. I, I I get that it's supposed to be an emotional moment and like a moment of like emotional either clarity or like kind of a, a a moment of clarity for for um for Barry, but it just kind of comes off as very very stilted, very stagnant. See, I didn't I didn't find it stilted stagnant might be the right word for it because again if the rest of the film hadn't had these ridiculously long drawn out sequences for no gain like the marching scenes like the like a lot of the scenes in the kind of early film like the scene where he's just deserted from the army and he's with the german like that whole scene doesn't need to be there like there's so many scenes and um, the dueling scene right at the end as well after um brian's death like again you can have that kind of tension and emotional impact built into much much shorter scenes but if we'd have had shorter scenes throughout when we were only in like hour two of the movie and then um brian you know a nine-year-old child passes away after a horrible accident and we you know get some sympathy for barry and for the countess and everything like i didn't have a problem specifically with the length of that scene apart from the fact that the film's already too long at this point wrap it up you don't need a 10 minute scene of a child asking about heaven well it's very sad and again it's that all of it was touching and it could have all been like it wouldn't have been a bad if you'd have left it all as it was but the rest of the film was much shorter it would have been fine yeah but it's a long scene in a film of already two long scenes it would have had more impact overall and i do think that like um there were scenes in here that could have definitely been cut like um the scene with the german uh the the german lady who just kind of like he they just fall in love and it has like has no actual bearing on the plot of the film I think the thing that it's meant to do is be like, oh, he's lying about who he is now. and He's even willing to lie to this nice German lady and he's pretending to be an officer. And I was like, okay, it that did need to be, we needed to see him lying about his identity at some point. So maybe that was why. But as soon as he meets up with the um, Prussian captain, there's a scene of that of him doing exactly that anyway. Yeah, and so- it's explained far better and in the context of furthering the story it, that whole scene does not need to be there like you, you could have cut like that would have cut like another five minutes out of the film which yeah. i mean yeah which is inconsequential but there if there's so many other little points like that points of this film that you could cut and make such a better more well-rounded film that was yeah, just a lot just, more it would like, just be a lot more easy to chew on people would actually be more willing to sit through it yeah well i mean like I, I'm, I'm kind of like i really really like worry like what the like the director's cut of this film was because oh my god like I, like i'm pretty sure it would have been like nine hours yeah like that's, that's, that's the way it right. feels like it's like um it's like that uh pat and oswald stand-up bit where he's just like oh ocho directors just like spaff tons and tons of film all over the place everywhere hours and hours of film and they think it's all wonderful and all amazing and then they have to have somebody sensible edit it down for them I think this was the case of whoever edited it was told by Kubrick, no, 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 that was, I worked really hard on that. That's brilliant. That has to stay in a lot of times. Otherwise, I think a well-edited version of this would have been a much more cogent film, much more enjoyable, more cogent film. I also think it would have had a little bit more, like the, a lot of the moments that kind of 
we thought maybe it might have fallen flat, would have had a little bit more uh, plot weight or like weight to yeah. it, yeah, and it would have actually it would have registered a lot more, like visceral, visceral, yeah, visceral. Viscerally. Viscerally with uh, it, their viewer, you know? Like, it's, I know exactly what you yeah. mean, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, apart from that, I, I do, like, I think it's kind of admirable in one regard that Kubrick actually did at least try to, like, he he's tried to do a period drama. Like, I don't think it went well other than from a, like, a cinematography point of view and kind of a soundtrack point of view i mean plot wise it, this really fell down but i do think it's it's kind of interesting that kubrick has done like he's he's never stuck to the same genre and i do think that's kind of impressive in a way yeah i mean it's good to expand your repertoire in a lot of ways you know he's gone into sci-fi he's gone into the kind of horror thrillery genre he's done a lot of them but i guess for me it's just very similar like he's written yet another story that's got no women in it and the women that are in it are just basically set dressing around yeah. the mediocre verging on terrible men that the film is about and it's just i just don't agree with stanley kubrick's whole oeuvre because that is basically what he made the films he makes and this film is no exception yeah that's that's actually a, a pretty fair reading of it and yeah. I, I i just it, it's kind it's disappointing in that regard um and i don't disappointed, know disappointed but not surprised yeah. <laughs> i kind of think this is probably one of his weakest films in my opinion i mean as a i don't like kubrick films as a rule but i've got to say i like 2001 a space odyssey and i at least found a clockwork or orange and its characters interesting and compelling whereas this i i was so bored I was so bored. It's just yeah. not an interesting enough story to have warranted an adaptation like this. I, I, I guess I, I like some of his films. Um, I specifically quite like Doctor Strangelove. I like Tears One Space Odyssey, and I really like a full, uh, like Full Metal Jacket because it's it's that is probably one of the best war films I've seen. But I, I haven't I, seen it, and maybe I'll change my yeah. mind on Stanley Kubrick yeah. at that point, but, but I doubt it. <laughs> yeah, but overall, it is kind of... Like, this is, to me, his weakest film. But Yeah. yeah. I mean, in my like of our, the three that we've covered on the podcast so far, I would definitely agree with you. Yeah. So, to kind of, like, summarise, my main issues are film is too long, the cinematography is absolutely wasted on a plot that isn't very compelling um the production design like all the your, your cinematography sets costumes soundtrack absolutely phenomenal um and but i, I also you know story-wise want the main character the story is called barry linden it's about barry linden but barry linden is not very interesting so i just want him to be you know, take bigger swings, make him just a more interesting, more compelling character. And, um, you know, don't have the only females in your story be depressed, hysterical, maternal, or, you know, seductive vixens who want to sleep with their cousins. Yeah, yeah. I I, 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 I agree with that. Actually, that's, that's a very, very succinct way of putting it. Yeah. I mean, given all this, how would you rate it? 
Um, we were discussing ratings shortly before we started recording, and I instinctively just went three. Um, and you were like, oh, no, uh, you know, don't you think this, this, and this makes it a bit higher? I did think about it, and I was like, oh, maybe I could go as high as a four. I can't. It's a three and a half from me. Mm-hmm. And all of those points go for, like, the look and feel of it, because I just can't agree with the plot and the characters and the, the the going back to my first kind of point with the narrator and the kind of how it's used as a shortcut for exposition and and good dialogue for me that was kind of a big unforgivable fatal flaw yeah i i get that i i'm kind of there with you like i i, I going into this i was thinking okay maybe i could give this as much as like a, a six but i can only really go probably a five overall and that's mainly like i'm i'm giving it that for the fact that the the production quality of the of it is second to none really the um the the cinematography is outstanding and they really 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 did some really amazing things with some uh with with the kit and with with how they blocked every scene like th- that that really really struck it, it definitely deserved the awards it got yeah but i do think it did fall flat on the story and what at the heart of it what at the heart of every film is the story yeah for me that's what i take from my viewing experience is i'm i'm looking for a good story that's why i love films it's why i love books and this one just didn't have a good story for me yeah but i do think we're gonna have a lot more fun next week don't you yeah um yes laura what uh film are we gonna be watching we're gonna be watching batman begins baby Woo! i want to i mean not my favorite in the the nolan trilogy but but probably it's the the start of my favorite batmans yes so i'm very excited to cover it um and obviously we won't be doing the dark knight and the dark knight rises until we get to d because we agreed to do this in alphabetical order so yeah. wild um, but yeah no it should be it should be a fun episode we both absolutely love the christopher nolan batman so we love the superhero genre so we're in for a treat yep sounds good see you then thank you for so much for listening bye bye music was potato deal by craig MacArthur. the photo used for our cover is by rodolfo clicks Audio editings by Ryan DeRoges, and this podcast was produced by Laura and Ryan DeRoges. Find us on Twitter at All's Fair Podcast, on Instagram at All's Fair and Love and Film, or email us at All's Fair and Love and Film at gmail.com. 